Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This is episode 33, and this is going to be another top 10 list, but this time it's money saving tips for van life. Also, we'll discuss a great simple solution for those tired left arms you have in the U.S., right arms in the U.K., a tale from the road involving the Cumberland Fog Mystery, a product review of a dog bowl, and a place to visit with dead people. Isn't that exciting? Hey folks, welcome back. It has been a heck of a week, and I am so happy to be here in my little bubble with you just having a sadly one-way conversation. But if you wanted to send me good vibes right now, I bet I'd feel it. Let's give it a try. Send those good vibes. Okay, I felt it. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. A couple of uh, little news notes here. Uh, Being episode 33, I thought I'd throw in a little quick uh, trivia quiz here. Why do Rolling Rock beer bottles have the number 33 on them? You ponder that through the episode, and I'll give you the answer at the end. Also, another news item, kind of fun. There's a website called Feedspot, and they recently did a listing of the top 10 van life podcasts, and believe it or not, Built to Go was ranked number one. I'm not sure what their ranking process was, but I'm happy to be listed there. And it also turns out that it's a bonus resource because uh, I'll post a link in the show notes and I'll tell you what it is here. It's blog.feedspot.com slash van underscore life underscore podcasts. Again, I'll have a link in the show notes. But it's a great list of some of the, the best podcasts. Uh, a lot of the podcasts I listened to even before I started this are on there. So anyway, thank you very much to Feedspot for listing us there. And thank you to all the other podcasts who have helped me get what I needed to make this podcast. I am happy for all of us. Now, so top 10, you know my philosophy on top 10. It's just 10. There's no top. I didn't go through a list of 100 and then pick the top best. I just made up a list of 10, and that's what I'm always going to do. But we'll call it the top 10. Most van life people are very money conscious. Not all. Some people have money and they don't care, and they buy the $150,000 Winnebago and head out there and do all kinds of stuff, and they are having a different life than I'm having, and good for them. But a lot of folks are buying their van as cheap as they can, they're putting in stuff, and they're actually worried about money. Because, you know, when you dedicate yourself to living in a van, or traveling in a van, or even doing the weekend warrior thing in a van, you're kind of taking on a lot of responsibility there, and a lot of that responsibility revolves around money. So here are 10 ways that you can save money in van life. Number one, very simply, buy a used van. Now, I know people like new things. I know buying a new van means you will get exactly the van you want. I mean, you can order it. You can talk to dealers. You will get exactly the van you want. But you have to know this. You are paying $3,000, $5,000, $7,000 just for the privilege of driving that sucker off the lot. Because the second it hits the street, it's worth that much less. Now, you might be somebody who's willing to pay that price to get exactly what you want, and I am all for that. One of the YouTube channels I watch regularly is Element Van Life, and that's what he did. He bought a brand new van and made it exactly what he wanted, and I'm like, good for him. But here's your optimal strategy. If you have enough money, buy a one- or two-year-old van that still has a warranty, and then drive the hell out of it when you get it. 
You want to take advantage of that warranty. If there's something that's going to break on it, you want it to happen during that warranty period. That's probably your optimal price point for buying a van. So, you know, it's 2020 now, maybe a 2017, a 2018, if you could find a van of that era, that would probably be the best value, with one exception. The other best value for a van is the well-taken-care-of, low-mileage, very old van. Like If you can find a van from the 80s that has, say, 75,000 miles on it, and the guy only wants two grand for it, if you can make that work for you, then that is probably going to be the way to save the most money. But that requires something, and that requires you to be very, very good at mechanical things and to have a high tolerance for things going wrong. If you've got that, you're going to save the most money. Number two, optimize your insurance. So the thing about insurance is that it's a gamble, right? You are gambling that you are going to get into an accident and that they're going to have to pay for it. Now, you don't want to get into an accident, and they know that, and that works in their favor. You are going to actively avoid having the insurance pay you. But remember, there's many different kinds of insurance. If you buy a brand new van and you finance it, which is not a good way to save money, you will be required to have collision insurance, comprehensive insurance, uninsured motorists. You're going to have to get the whole package, and that's very expensive. If you have an older van, you don't need all that. So this episode isn't about insurance. We could get into some depth here. But sit down with your insurance agent and go down every single item and see if you need it. And remember, this is not a one-time cost. That 35 bucks a year for rental coverage, so you'll get a rental car, well, after 10 years, that's 350 or 400 bucks because the price goes up. How many cars can you rent for 400 bucks? So sometimes it's better to take the risk than not. But think about it. Number three, do regular maintenance yourself. Folks, if you are a normally abled person, and honestly, if you are most types of disabled, you can change your own oil. And it's an important thing to do. You want to change your oil on a regular schedule. And you can save half the cost if you do it yourself, at least. Probably more like 60%. Sure, you can go to Jiffy Lube and they can get it done in half an hour and they'll try to sell you the world. And you might say, oh yeah, go ahead and do my wipers. No. I mean, you can do that. That's fine. It's your van. You can do what you want. But I don't. I change my own oil. I change my own wipers. I change my own filters. This is not complicated stuff. You do not have to be super technical for this. But the more you learn, the more of these things you can do. And recently, I saved 400 bucks because I got a quote for $500 from two different places to change my rear shocks. And I thought to myself, that doesn't seem like a very complicated thing to do. So I looked into it, and I went on YouTube, and I searched change rear shocks, NV200, and found a video where the guy does the entire thing in nine minutes. And I saw what he did, and I realized that all I have to do is buy the shocks. So I got actually decent shocks. I didn't even get the cheapest ones. I got decent shocks for 75 bucks. Took me an hour to put them in because I'm not as good as the guy on YouTube. And that's it. I'm done. So for 75 bucks, I saved 425 bucks just because I knew that one little step. So remember that investing in your knowledge of how to take care of your vehicle and doing the regular maintenance yourself 
is going to pay serious dividends. And honestly, the tools to do a lot of this stuff don't take up a lot of space. Changing your oil on the road, if you can find a place to do it, that's going to be the hardest part. But you only need a flat bucket. Or you can even use a cardboard box with a trash bag in it. it anyway, there are ways to do it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do an episode on how to change your oil on the road. There are many ways to do that. Number four, always be looking for opportunities. This is kind of how I am in default mode is that when I'm driving around and I know I need things or I'm going to need things on a regular basis, I'm always looking for that opportunity. An easy example is I'm always looking for a place to get rid of trash. I don't ever want to be in the situation where I'm in the van and I have too much trash. So every single time I get gas, I empty all the trash cans. Every single time I go into a grocery store, I take a bag of trash with me and throw it out as soon as I go to the store. Now, that's not going to save me a whole lot of money. I don't typically pay to dump trash, but I do pay to do things like dump the toilet sometimes. If I have to, I will pay to use a dump station to dump the toilet. So I'm always looking for opportunities like outhouses, like outhouses, porta potties, things like that, that I can safely dump that black water. And I'm not waiting. That's the key. I do it when the opportunity arises, not when I need to do it. And water's another one. Now, obviously, water can't cost that much money because it's only about 39 cents a gallon if you go to the grocery store. But, hey, I also don't want to run out of water. So every chance I have to fill those tanks, and I have a freshwater tank and a drinking water tank, two separate things, I will. More important ones, though, are battery charge opportunities. So let's say you have a Jackery or a Goal Zero or, you know, one of those batteries that's a, they call them solar generators, which drives me crazy because they're neither solar nor a generator, but they are portable. So if you're going to go to the coffee shop for the day, bring that in with you, plug it in under the table, get that little bit of charge. Again, this isn't necessarily going to save you money, but at some point that power is going to come in handy and you're going to be very glad that you have it. Here's a big one. Wi-Fi is an expensive thing. Always look for chances to use Wi-Fi. When I go to get gas, I treat that as I'm going to get everything done now. I get the gas. I go to the bathroom there. I use their facilities. I start up Wi-Fi and I start downloading a movie or a podcast or whatever because I have a I have a quote-unquote unlimited Wi-Fi plan like many people do. But it throttles after a certain point, so I, that's precious resources. If I can use somebody else's resources, I will. Think about that. This is a mindset thing. Always look for opportunities, and eventually it's going to save you some serious money. Number five. Get an easy pass, or whatever toll thingy that makes sense for you. If you're in Florida, you would get theirs. Unfortunately, the country, the U.S. anyway is not terribly organized with these toll tag things. There's a bunch of different ones. They don't all talk to each other. It's super annoying. But the easy pass seems to be the one that's used in most places. And this is why I say you should get one. You get a big discount on tolls. I mean, a big discount. I think right now the George Washington Bridge in New York is 16 bucks. But if you have an easy pass, you save 5 bucks. That's five bucks every time you go over the George Washington Bridge, which probably isn't something you do very often, but all that adds up. It's especially true if you're going to spend time in places like Illinois or New England where there are lots of toll roads. You can save 40 to 50% on tolls with an easy pass. And it doesn't really cost anything. There might be a startup fee, but you'll get that back very quickly. So definitely get an easy pass. 
or something similar that makes sense. You'll have to do research on what makes sense. Number six. Or don't get an easy pass and just stay off toll roads. This only works if you're not in a hurry. But if you want to see this country, if you want to see any country really, you want to stay off the interstates. And if you stay off the interstates, you're going to avoid tolls. And this is a bigger deal than it ever was before. Ever since these toll tags came out and they've gotten rid of the little places where you throw the change in or you actually hand money to somebody in most cases, they've gone crazy with the costs of tolls. For me to drive from New England to Chicago costs about $80 in tolls. These days, that's more than gas. So tolls are a big deal. So if you can, avoid them. There are plenty of U.S. routes around. Take the Lincoln Highway, take Route 66, take U.S. 50 all the way across the country, or U.S. 6 all the way across the country, or U.S. 1 all the way up and down the East Coast. There are plenty of roads you can take. Yeah, they take a whole lot longer. Absolutely true. You run into red lights and more traffic and all that kind of stuff. But you will save a lot of money on tolls, and you will find more of those opportunities that were mentioned earlier. Number seven. If you can, get a cash back credit card. Now, this is always risky. Credit cards are risky. Credit cards can get you into trouble. But if you're the kind of person who can handle your finances, a cash back credit card will basically give you a discount on your life. There are many. You need a decent credit rating to get a decent card. There's a whole bunch of stuff here. And I know a lot of people like to use their debit card because you can't get into too much debt with a debit card. Your money's actually moving out right there. But some cards are super useful. For example, if you are use Amazon, their card gives you a massive discount on Amazon. It's up to 5% for some things. That adds up. That is a pretty big deal, and it's a free card. It doesn't cost you anything. So think about your purchasing patterns and what you do, and get a card that will pay you to do those things. Another option is gas card. If you tend to be in places that have the same kind of gas station, see if you can get a credit card for that gas station, because they often will have a 2% discount or something like that. It's a little thing, but it adds up. Number eight. This is something that a lot of people are doing, but not everybody. Cook your own food. It's amazing how little money you need to eat well if you're willing to cook your own food. And you may be seeing a pattern here. A lot of these things are trading time for money. And for some folks, time is more precious than money. And I'm, I'm totally aware of that. I'm not saying never go to McDonald's. If you're late some morning and you need to hit the road, yeah, go to McDonald's, get the Egg McMuffin, whatever, and save yourself an hour of cooking and cleaning. That makes perfect sense. But consider how much it would cost you to make an Egg McMuffin yourself. Okay, so maybe you can't find Canadian bacon or you're going to use ham, whatever. So you get a piece of ham. Well, a piece of ham is about, what, 15 cents? And an egg. A single egg? I've seen single eggs for as low as 5 cents recently. Well, maybe 7 cents. So you've got that. An English muffin? Oh, I don't know, maybe 30 cents. Maybe, depends. Maybe you got a good one. And then some butter and a slice of cheese. I mean, so we're talking about maybe a dollar, a dollar twenties worth of ingredients. And then that's like one third of what you're going to pay at McDonald's. That adds up a lot. And if you uh, can avoid it, avoid alcohol. Now, I'm not asking you to not have any fun. Everybody likes to have a little relaxing beverage every once in a while. But 
that's a huge expense. If you start keeping track of where your money goes and you're drinking a six-pack of beer every couple days, that's a lot of money, you know, especially if it's good beer. Um, I drink hams myself, so I know nothing of this good beer. <laughs> and there's a tricky thing about cooking your own food. It, it requires strategy, and obviously a lot of van life people talk about cooking, like, endlessly. So many videos are like, hey, this is our van life video. We went here, and then we cooked, and here's us cooking. And sometimes it's like craft dinner or something. It's not even fancy. My strategy to save money while eating and cooking in the van is to not buy meals, but to buy ingredients and then figure it out as I go. And I will try to make a meal that matches my ingredients rather than to make my ingredients match the meal I want. So I'm trading a little bit of, boy, I really feel like a steak tonight for what can I fit in this pot? Anyway, I should probably do a whole episode on that. And I kind of have, but maybe I'll do that again in the future. Number nine, if you can, buy online. Oh, I know, I hear the screams and yells. You're putting local businesses out, and I, I get it. And with COVID, it's all weird right now. But, but hear me out on this, and then make your own decision. You are going to save money if you buy online. Things are simply cheaper if you buy online. And you can avoid taxes if you have picked a home address in a state that doesn't charge sales tax. There aren't too many. If you could somehow live in New Hampshire, uh, that would work. Now, of course, you're in a van, and you just bought a new solar controller online. Where are they going to deliver it? They're not going to chase you down on the highway and throw it through your window. You've got to give them a place to deliver it. So there's two options you have, two good ones. With Amazon specifically, they have boxes that are drop boxes. And you can, you can go and search, and when it asks you where to put the thing, you can say, well, I think I'm going to be in Hawthorne, Nevada next week. Let me find an Amazon drop box there. And then you can now pick a date. It used to be, it would be like, oh, it'll take two or three days. But now there's this thing called an Amazon day. And you can say, I want it there on Wednesday of this date. And it will be, unless something goes wrong. And so you know, you in a week, however long it takes you to get to Hawthorne, it's going to be there waiting for you. It's not as convenient as running into wherever you would buy a solar controller on the road. And there aren't that many places. But it would work. And it would save you some serious money. The other thing you can do is general delivery, which is still a thing. Not all post offices do this, but the larger post offices let you receive packages and mail in your name at the post office's address. And it's like this. It would say, well, my name's Jeff Wagg. So it would say, Jeff Wagg, General Delivery, Mayfair Branch Post Office, Chicago, Illinois, 60630, and then whatever the four digits are. There are instructions online. You can Google Post Office General Delivery. The package will get there, they will hold it for me, and then I will go and say, hello, I'm Jeff Wagg, pull out my driver's license and say, I believe there's a package waiting for me here. It's a great option. I mean, for van life, you can have stuff sent all over the country. And they will hold it, and if you need to send it back, they can send it back too. So there's lots of options there. So that's a good one. Number 10. All right. This is the thing that I think is going to save you the most money on so many fronts if you can manage it. And that is, drive slow. Yes, you may not want to. My van will easily do 80, 85 down the highway all day long, up and down hills. It doesn't care. And honestly, the driving I do is often long distance, and I'm trying to get from point A to point B as, as in as short a time as possible. But that's not really what I want to do. It's just because my life gives me these narrow time slices. 
if I had my druthers, I would stay off the interstates and try to do 55 as much as possible. Because 50 to 55 miles an hour, it's actually probably 45 to 52 miles an hour, is the sweet spot for your engine. That's where it's going to be in the highest gear with the lowest RPMs, and you're going to use the least amount of gas. Now, gas is fairly cheap right now, fairly cheap, but I don't expect that to last. It never has in the past. And do some math on this. So let's say you've got a Chevy Savannah, and you're getting 15 miles a gallon, and you're okay with that. But what if I could tell you that if you slowed down, you'd get 17 miles a gallon? Eh, two miles a gallon. Big deal. Well, two miles a gallon is a big deal, especially with those numbers, because two extra miles per gallon gives you 13, 14% less gas expense. And that's a lot. If you drive a lot, that 14% savings could add up to quite a bit. Now, I did something like 40 or 50,000 miles driving last year. I did not keep track of my gas, but if I could have saved 14% on my gas, it would have been hundreds of dollars. It would have been a very good thing. And it ties in with other things. If you can drive slow, you're going to put less wear and tear in your vehicle. You're going to have more opportunities like we spoke about earlier, which is going to save you money there. And you're going to see a lot more. You're going to get more out of every mile. So just consider that. And this is kind of a van life thing. I've noticed that... I often scream by other vans on the road because I'm doing the speed limit or perhaps a bit more. And I see these other folks in their vans and they're all tooled out. They've got their solar panels and their max air fan and they're, and they're just kind of enjoying the ride at 55. And I'm looking over there like I'm in a hurry to get somewhere and they're enjoying life and paying less for it. So try that. Give it a try. See if you can plan a trip where you don't care how long it takes you're just going to head over there at 55 miles an hour and see what happens. I bet it will be a much more pleasant experience, and I know it will cost less. Okay, quick tech talk, because I talk too long. I just saw this great thing on Facebook where somebody by the name of Sally Sparks in the DIY Cargo Van Conversion Help Forum on Facebook solved a problem I've had in my van forever. NV200s have a really weird window shape for the driver's side and passenger side windows. It's not flat, it's rounded, and it's super hard plastic, and I put my arm on there, and it's really uncomfortable, and I, I just want there to be a pad under there. And she found a cheap, easy, simple way to do that. And what she did was she took an inner sole, like Dr. Scholl's kind of a thing you'd buy at a store uh, and put in your shoes. She took one of those and just attached it to her windowsill, and it made a nice, comfy armrest. What a great, cheap, silly, but fun idea. And she picked a pink one for her van. I might pick a gray one for mine. But just good thinking, good van life tip there. And if you don't like the fact that it's shaped like a shoe, you can trim it into any shape you want. So, hey, sometimes there are really simple solutions to what actually are complicated problems. And thank you, Sally Sparks, for that one. product review of the dog bowl sink yes so a lot of people do this they'll go to walmart and they'll get the big mixing bowl and make a sink out of it uh, i used a dog bowl because it was it's an ikea dog bowl it's like four dollars 
if you go to Ikea and look at dog bowls, you'll see it. It's a big stainless steel bot. It's actually not that big. That's the problem. It's a small stainless steel dog bowl, and it's exactly the right shape to counter sink into a counter. It's got a big lip, and it's really easy to attach. I installed it. It looks great. It fits. Everything's good there. It works. If you need a cheap sink, you can do a dog bowl sink for four bucks. However, before you do that, I want you to consider a few things. Number one, with all of these bowl sink solutions, you have the problem that they're not shaped like sinks. A sink has a big indent in it to put the drain in so that water will always be at its lowest point and go down the drain. You don't have that with these and it's not really feasible to make your own. So you end up with water kind of, it won't all drain. You end up with like a big bubble of water hanging around in there. Not a big deal, but it can be a little bit annoying. The other thing is, if you do this, number one, round is a bad shape for a sink, unless you're just washing your hands. If you're trying to do dishes, round is bad. You don't want a round sink. And you don't want this little tiny sink. There was some famous YouTuber who called these fairy sinks because they're just for show and nobody actually uses them. Well, I use mine. I do everything with my sink and almost every time I use it, I wish it was bigger. And I've thought of some ways to make a bigger one and I might do a whole thing about that. But I just want you to know that if you get one of these bowl or dog bowl sinks, it's great if you have limited space, but they can be a real challenge if you're doing dishes. Also, the reason to get a dog bowl versus a mixing bowl is that stainless steel dog bowls tend to be thicker. So you get a heavier metal, but that's also harder to drill a hole through. I totally destroyed a hole saw cutting through this metal. It worked fine. It drains, there's no leaks, it's absolutely fine. But to give you an idea of how big it is, you ever been to the bathroom on an airplane? That sink is probably a little bit bigger. And imagine trying to do the dishes in there. So, dog bowl sinks. They work, but you have to take some precautions. Tales from the road. So way long ago, I used to go to school in uh, Salem, West Virginia at a college called Salem College back then. It's not called that anymore. It's got a similar name now. But I used to drive there from New England in my 1980 Datsun 510. And one time I was heading to school, um, I think it was after Christmas break. And there was this part in Cumberland, Maryland that was this massive hills, the biggest, it was a mountain, it was literally a mountain massive uh huge upgrade and it was the biggest one of the entire trip and on this particular day we had gotten an early start and it was very very foggy so i was basically following the taillights of the person in front of me and i thought that would be the safest thing to do i would vary my speed and keep the same distance between me and the taillights in front of me and we were doing, you know, highway speeds, but not like super fast. And as we got near the top of the hill, just as we're starting to go downhill, he disappeared. Like completely. Boom. There's no car in front of me anymore. Now there's no exits up there. There's no turnoffs. There's no scenic views. I don't know where he went. When the lights disappeared, I thought, huh, am I going too slow? Maybe he sped up. So I sped up a bit to see if I could catch up and see the lights. I never found them. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he drove off the cliff. I, I, maybe it was like a close encounters thing and it wasn't actually a car. I don't know what it was. 
and I never will because this happened in about 1985. But still, I remember, and I hope whoever was driving that car was just playing a trick on me and maybe turned off their lights and sped up or something like that. I don't know. We might go a little long this episode. That's okay. Hey, here's a place to visit that I really enjoyed and I think about a lot. It is Aurora, and no big surprise, Aurora, Nevada. Aurora, Nevada, which used to be Aurora, California. The town didn't move. The state did. They had a dispute over the line, and they thought they were in California, but they're actually in Nevada. Anyway, Aurora, Nevada is a ghost town that at one time had 10,000 people living there, including some famous people. Like Mark Twain. You've heard of him? He had his first successful commercial writing while living in Aurora, Nevada. And a guy named Lee Vining also lived there. Lee Vining has a whole city named after him in California. In fact, he's dead. Well, of course he's dead. But he's also buried in Aurora. Now, this is not a ghost town like Bodie where you're going to see a whole bunch of old buildings. There is exactly one wall standing. There are some other little structures too, and there's some mine structures around in the area, but there's basically one wall. It's also about 25 miles off pavement. You have to do some off-roading. Now, I was able to do it in my van. I actually am trained in driving off-road. I've been to Land Rover Driving School years ago, so I maybe can do off-road better than someone who's never done it before, but I'm in an NV200. This is not an off-road vehicle, so what I'm trying to say is you can do this in just about any vehicle you have. And while there isn't that much to see building-wise, there are two really cool things to see there. Number one is the cemetery. They didn't move the cemetery, and there are lots of graves there, including the grave of a gunslinger who was gunned down in the street and considered a criminal, so they buried him further away from the cemetery, and then someone tried to steal his gravestone, but it broke, so it fell into the ground, and there it still is, and it's really hard to find, and I couldn't find it, but you can find it. Lots of cool grave stuff to see up there. Also, there's this big cliff called Lover's Leap that you can climb up on, and you get a great overview of the whole town. And there are pictures taken from Lover's Leap way back in the early 1900s, and you can see just how big this town was. And now it's all gone. You can just make out the roads. Anyway, I had a really good time visiting this place. The jumping off point is Hawthorne, Nevada. If you want to check it out on a map, I'll have a link in the show notes. But yeah, this place made an impact on me, and I don't see why you couldn't spend the night. I ended up not doing it, but I didn't see another soul out there. So if you were looking for a boondocking spot, yeah, this would work just fine. All right, time to answer the quiz. Why is the number 33 on rolling rock bottles? Well, the most common answer is, is that prohibition ended in the year 1933. So it was like, yay, we get to drink beer again. But it turns out that, that nobody knows. That's just a guess. It makes sense. There's a whole bunch of other guesses, including that it took 33 steps to get to the brewmaster's office, or that it, an owner bet $33 on a horse, number 33, of course, and it brought and bought the brewery with the proceeds in 1933. Yeah, whatever. Or there are 33 streams feeding into the reservoir from which the brewery draws its water, etc., etc. Um, yeah, there's just a whole bunch of made-up stuff. I mean, Jesus died when he was 33. You could throw that one in there, too. Or Rolling Rock is brewed at 33 degrees, just one degree above freezing. Um, or even a Freemasons thing where 33rd degree is the highest level you can get. Uh, yeah. Um, 
Sorry, folks. There's no definitive answer to why that 33 is on the bottle. But it is. So, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 33. I absolutely appreciate each and every one of you listening. I am getting so much nice feedback that it it just warms the cockles of my heart. And I'm one of the few people who actually has cockles in his heart. Like, they're actually there. The music, as always, is by Simon Wag, a.k.a. Sir Mouge. And until next time, remember, a quote by Mark Twain, of course, Let us endeavor so to live, so that when we come to die, even the undertaker will be sorry. <laughs>